0: And we are engaged in a series of studies, a long series, on the story of Joseph. And today we'll look at a couple of verses, really more than that, but we'll form the study on a couple of verses. Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. And we're only going to read two verses, verses 21 and 22. The title of this particular study, study number 62 in this series of studies on the story of Joseph is, Your Sins Will Find You Out. Verse 21, now Joseph is the governor. I'm going to tell you about it in just a moment. This is a conversation carried on. By Joseph's brothers, they've been thrown in jail in Egypt. Verse 21, they said one to another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he pled with us, begged us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us, And Reuben answered him, saying, Did not, I tell you, do not sin against the child, and you would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. May the Lord add his blessings on the reading of his word, and let God's people say, Praise the Lord, and you may be seated. Joseph is now governor of Egypt. He is 40 years old having been in Egypt some 23 years. At the age of 17, he had two dreams about his future, a future of promotion, exaltation, and a future of glory. And according to those two dreams, there would come a time when his brothers would bow down to it. You can read about that dream in chapter 37, verses 5 through 10. The dream said his brothers, there would come a time when his brothers would bow down to him, or that time has arrived. At the age of about 27 or 28 years old, Joseph was put in prison because of a false accusation by his boss's wife. At the age of 30, Joseph was called out of prison to interpret two dreams for the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph told the Pharaoh, you're going to have two seven-year periods. The first will be a seven-year period of plenty. The time of plenty is going to be followed by a seven-year period of famine. And not only did Joseph predict the future, but he advised the Pharaoh, what would we be done about it? And you can read about that in chapter 41, verses 33 36. Joseph gave the Pharaoh a plan for those 14 years. Well, the Pharaoh was so impressed by Joseph and his interpretation and his plan that he made him the governor of Egypt, and he put him in charge of preparing Egypt for the coming famine. Now, when the famine arrived, people began to run out of food. And the famine spread throughout all the lands around Egypt, all that area of the world, including the land of Canaan, which is where Jacob and his 11 sons were living. Now, as we saw last week, in the 42nd chapter, it begins with Jacob and his family reeling in Canaan because of the scarcity of food. Let's read those verses again. Verse 1 of chapter 42 of Genesis. When Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt. Now Jacob is the father of Joseph. When he saw that there was corn in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing here doing nothing, looking at one another? I've heard that there's corn in Egypt. Get down there and buy for us from there that we may live And not die. So he sent those boys, ten of them, down into Egypt. And when they arrived in Egypt, they were directed to the man in charge of the economy. Namely, the governor, their own forgotten brother, Joseph. And when their time came to appear before the governor... They presented their case to him. I think, Benny, somebody's at the door out there. They presented their case to him, and here we should note several things. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7. Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Notice verse 7, and Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them. But he made himself strange unto them, and he spoke roughly to them. And he said to them, where did you come from? They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Now you notice verse 8, Joseph knew his brethren, but they didn't know him. Now, let me point out several things to you, first of all, before we really get into the meat of what I have to say today. Number one, they bowed to the earth before Joseph. Now, that's what those dreams said they would do, which they said they would never do. They said, we'll never bow to you. My friend, don't ever tell God Almighty what you won't do. Don't ever tell him what you won't do. Just as sure as you tell him you won't do it, you're going to do it before he saves you. He's not going to save you in your rebellion. And they said, we'll never bow, but they're bowing. I remember years ago, we had a Bible conference up in Ashland, Kentucky. And Lynn and I think Pam Clark met some guys, and one of them was a Greek. And Lynn started witnessing to them. And she told this guy that Jesus was Lord, and he said, I'll never bow to him. That's what he told him. He said, I'll never bow. Well, the Bible says that every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. You can do it now in the age of grace and mercy, or you can do it then in the day of judgment. But you're going to buy, Hitler's going to buy, Stalin's going to buy, Caesar's going to buy, the pharaohs are going to buy, everybody's going to buy. Don't tell God what you won't do. Number two, they saw, Joseph saw them, and he recognized them immediately. We just read that. Number three, according to verse seven, Joseph made himself strange to them. And he spoke in a rough manner to them, verse 7. Now, how is he talking to them? Well, he's talking to them like a, an authoritative figure. He's talking to them like he's the governor in charge of the, the land of Egypt. And he's talking to them in the Egyptian language. Look at verse 23. Look at verse 23. They knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. (laughs) He's talking to them in the Egyptian language, but he knows the Hebrew and he knows everything they're saying. We can understand why his brothers didn't recognize him. They hadn't seen him since he was 17 years old, a 17-year-old immature, naive teenager. He's now 40 years old, sitting on the throne of authority, dressed in the Egyptian clothes appropriate for a man of his rank, and speaking to them through an interpreter in the Egyptian tongue. And so playing dumb, we can see this in verse 7, playing dumb, Joseph asked them, where are you from? Now, he knew where they were from, but he's, he's leading them along for a reason. Then notice this, notice this. In verse 9, we're told that Joseph remembered the dreams that he dreamed at age 17. Verse 9, Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and he said to them, you're spies, and to see the weakness of the land, you are come up. He accused them of being spies. Why? Why? Let me give you seven brief reasons why. There may be more. Number one, to test their veracity. And you boys and girls, veracity means truthfulness. To test their truthfulness. Why would he want to test their truthfulness? Because they were a bunch of liars. That's why. When he was 17 years old, they took his coat put the blood of an animal on it, took it back home, and said to their old Jacob, their father, is this your son's coat? They didn't say, is this, is this, our, bro- this is our brother's coat? They said, is this your son's coat? He said, it is. They said, well, we found it. but well, we couldn't find Joseph. Were they lying? Of course they were lying. They took their brother and they put him in a pit. They were going to kill him. One of the brothers said, let's don't kill him. Let's put him in, let's put him in a pit they were never going to go back later and kill him. And one of them said, no, let's sell him to these folks going into Egypt. We'll never see him again. Let's sell him to them. So they did. So here it is now, 23 years later. And he says, you're spies. Because he's going to test their truthfulness. Now they tell him in verse 10 through 14, oh, we're true men. Look at verse 10. They said, no, no, my Lord, but to buy food of thy servants come. We're all one man's sons, verse 11. We are true men. (laughs) Thy servants are no spies. You know, my friends, listen to me now, and I'm including myself here. We're never going to admit what we are until God makes you admit it. You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. I know the Bible says in 1 John 1, 1.9, I mentioned this two or three weeks ago, 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm thankful for that verse. But I studied that verse and I found out that confessing your sins doesn't just say, Lord, I've sinned. It comes from the legal courtroom language and it means to cite C-I-T-E, to cite your sins. It means to actually say what you've done. I have lied. I have stolen. I have committed adultery. I have committed fornication. I have not done this or I have done that. It is to cite specifically as in a courtroom. When a lawyer is in a courtroom... He says, Your Honor, this man here, and we intend to prove that this man here murdered his wife in cold blood. They name the problem. And that's what you do when you go to God. Don't just say, I've sinned. He knows you've sinned. You were born a sinner. You're going to die a sinner. But you tell him specifically. And these fellows here, they are not going to admit it. We're true men, they said. No, he said, verse, uh, uh, we're one man's sons, verse 11. He said, no, you've come here to see the weakness of the land, verse 12. And they said, no, your servants are 12 brethren, the sons of one man, verse 13, in the land of Canaan. The youngest is this day with our father. And look, watch this now. And it says in the King James Version, and one is not... They knew good and well that Joseph was not dead, but they didn't know that the man they're talking to him is the one that's not dead. One is not. We don't know where he is. He's lost somewhere among the teeming multitude of Egypt. He's probably hauling slop and be a water boy for somebody. But they don't say that. They just say one is not. Watch this now. This is why he accused them of being spies. To test their veracity and to carry, number two, to carry out a plan to to see his blood brother. He has a blood brother. You remember old Jacob had two wives and each of them had a maid. And through the four of them he had 12 sons which became the 12 tribes of Israel. So you notice verse 15. Hereby, he said, you shall be proved by the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go forth from here except your youngest brother come here. Now his youngest brother is Benjamin. You see, Benjamin and Joseph had the same mother, Rachel. These other boys, they are sons of Leah, and they're sons of the two handmaids of Rachel and Leah. But you remember, reading back in Genesis, it was Rachel that Jacob loved. He never wanted any other wives. But he got hoodwinked in it. He got caught up in it. And now he's got 12 sons. He doesn't know one of them is still alive. And so Joseph wants to see his real blood brother. He wants to see Benjamin. He creates... He, he, he accuses them of spying to create respect for his authority. And at number five, he accuses them of spies because in his plan, he's going to give them some hope. He first told them in verses 16 and 17 that all of them would be put in prison. Send one of you, verse 6, all of you but one, verse 16. Send one of you and let him fetch his brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be proved whether there be any truth in you or not or else, by the life of Pharaoh you espied. And he put them all together into the prison, into the jail, verse 17, for three days. Now he doesn't intend to keep them in prison, but they don't know that. But they had three days to decide which one would be sent home. But then he comes back in verse 19 and he said, I'm going to let all of you go but one. Verse 19, if you're a true man, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison and you go. You get the corn that you came to get and you return home. Verse 20, but you bring your youngest brother. That's Benjamin. You bring him to me. And by this, your words will be verified and you'll not die. So now he gives them a little hope. He told them to make it all go, but they have to leave one. The sixth reason he's dealing with them like this is to break their pride, to put them in the fear of God and bring them to the point of confession and repentance. And the seventh reason he's speaking to them like this is to further hide his true identity from them for the time being. We read that, verse 23, They knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. Verse 24, He turned himself about from them, and he wept. And he turned again to them and communed with them. And he took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. Now there are four lessons that I want us to learn today. Four lessons. Number one, be sure your sins will find you out. Verse 21 and 22. While they were in that jail for three days, brother... Everything they had done, everything they had said, all their lies, all their dishonesty, all the mess that they'd done came home. And that's exactly what they said in verse 21. They said, We're guilty. And when he cried to us, Why are you doing this from that pit? We wouldn't hear him. This is why this distress has come upon us. Then Reuben said in verse 22, didn't I tell you, don't sin against the child? And you wouldn't hear. Therefore, his blood is required from us. Now later, when you have time, you turn to Numbers chapter 32, and you'll find that Moses addressed two tribes, the tribes of Gad and Reuben. Gad and Reuben were on one side of the Jordan River. All the other tribes were on the other side. And Gad and Reuben said, look, we want to settle over here. But we will help the rest of our brothers and the other tribes. We'll help them conquer all the enemies. And we won't settle down over here until they've conquered their lands. And so Moses said to them, This is in Numbers 32. You can read it when you have time. He said to them, If you do all you have promised, you will be guiltless before the Lord and the land shall be your possession. But if you will not do so, know that you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. This is what's happening right here with these brothers. The thing that they had long forgotten. They'd forgotten all about Joseph. They'd forgotten all about their mess. They'd forgotten all about their lies. But now it's coming home. Now the chickens are coming home to roost. All that they'd forgotten is brought back. Now that they're in prison, scared to death, they remember their wicked deeds. Many, many, many people Will never face their wicked deeds until they are in God's prison house. But there it will be too late. Listen to the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, Agree with your adversary quickly. While you are in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge deliver you to the officer and you are cast into prison. And I say unto you, truthfully, you will by no means come out until you have paid the uttermost farthing. Now here's the question. Is God your adversary? If you refuse to bow to him, if you refuse to listen to him, if you refuse to kiss his son, if you refuse to believe on his son, God is your adversary. And you can read John three sixteen all you want. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that is true. He gave his son. But what is that to you? If you reject him, if you refuse him, if you will not bow to him, it makes God your adversary. And Jesus said, it is best to agree with him that you take sides with God against yourself. He accuses you of being a sinner. It's best to take sides with him and say, you're right, Lord. You're right. Everything you say about me is true. I have done everything you've accused me. Admit that he's right and you're wrong. Do as Joseph's brothers did while there's time or don't do as they did while there's time. Joseph could only throw folks into the Egyptian prison, but the judge of heaven can throw us into hell. You think I'm being too harsh? Listen to the words of Jesus from Luke 12 and Matthew 10. Listen to what Jesus said. I say to you, my friends... Be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed has power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. The fear of God is gone from the pulpits of America. Jesus is just a water boy trying to get you a vote. Won't somebody please take Jesus. Please take Jesus. He's begging you. He's waiting in line. There's a song that I hear a lot. It has a beautiful melody to it, but the lyrics are so bad. It's so bad. Jesus is just waiting in line. He's at the back of the line. And he's waiting on you. My friends, anguish, grip the heart and the souls of Joseph's brothers. Oh, the regret, oh, the guilt that came upon them. Think about this. Jesus is our brother in the flesh. And he was a man of flesh and bone, just like we are. Have you heard the anguish of his soul as he hung upon the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can say with the brothers of Joseph, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. In every soul in hell we confess this. We would not hear, therefore is this distress come upon us. That's exactly what Joseph's brother. My friends, if you have ears to hear, then hear the words of our Savior. Come unto me, all you who labor, who are you under, under the guilt and the burden of your sins. You're laboring to get rid of them. You're heavy laden. You're crushed under the weight of impending judgment. Come to me, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, learn from me, and you'll find rest for your souls. Wouldn't you like to hear the Lord say to you, I will be merciful to your unrighteousness and your sins and your iniquities I will remember no more? That's the word of promise to those who come to His son. Now, I'll say more about this in a minute. But if you don't have a sin bearer, be sure your sins will find you out. Lesson number two, all that the brothers of Joseph did to him shall be done to them. What you sow, you'll reap. Here are ten amazing things that I learned as I was studying these passages. Listen to this. When Joseph was 17 years old and they threw him in that pit and they were going to kill they made Joseph to fear. Now he makes them to fear. Secondly, they made themselves strange to Joseph. They said, we don't, we don't know it. When those, when those uh, uh, Ishmaelites came by, we got a slave here to send you. He was their own brother. So now, according to verse 7, he makes himself strange to them. They spoke roughly to Joseph. Now, verse 7, he speaks roughly to them. They falsely accused him of wanting to lord it over them. Now he falsely accuses them of being spies. They acted as though they did not know him. And he acted as though he did not know them. Verses 7 and 8. They put him in a pit He put them in prison. They put him in a pit for three days. He put them in prison for three days. They would not hear his cry, and he did not hear theirs. He heard them talking here, verses 21 and 22. He made sure he knew what they were saying. They spoke to him in a strange tongue, the tongue of cruelty. He spoke to them in a strange tongue, the tongue of the Egyptians. It was Simeon who led the rest of them in their harsh treatment of Joseph, and it is Simeon who's going to be bound and held hostage in prison. Verse 24. He took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. We can see in this that all the ungodly sinners, and that's what I am except for the grace of God, an ungodly sinner. They don't think I'm just calling you something. I'm worse than you are. Paul said he's got us both beat. He said I'm the chief of sinners. But everything that ungodly sinners have done and said about the Son of God It's going to come back, it's going to be done to them. You know what hell is? Let me tell you what hell is. Hell will be the place where men receive in their own bodies and souls what the Son of God received in this world and especially in his sufferings. In hell, men will be utterly forsaken, just as the Son of God was on the cross. He was forsaken so that those who come to him will not be forsaken. My friends, don't go to hell. Joseph is the governor of Egypt, but Jesus is the governor of the universe. He is the way to heaven. Lesson number three. This is a valuable lesson. In the sovereign hand of a gracious God, Affliction can be a blessing. You see, when we have affliction, it weans us from this old God-hating world. Affliction makes us lose sight of earthly ambition. I know some folks right now that are sick. They don't care a thing about what the stock market does Monday morning. They don't care a thing about all the building and the selling going on in Franklin, Tennessee. They're facing death. They're facing eternity. What are all these things? Sickness, disease, affliction will do that for you. You don't believe me? Listen to David, a man after God's own heart. These are David's words from Psalm 119. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I'm keeping your word. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn your word. Listen to me. Don't curse the Lord if you've experienced trouble. He means it for your good. To bring you to repentance. To teach you to trust him in all the circumstances at all times. Remember, our salvation came out of suffering, the sufferings of Christ. When he suffered, we suffered in him. And when we suffer in this world, he suffers in us. We are one with him. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our trouble and tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. Nobody can tell you how it is like somebody that's been there. To comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Listen now. For the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. What did the Lord say to old Saul of Tarsus on his way to Damascus to, to arrest Christians and put them in prison and to beat them and kill them? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When you're persecuting my people, you're persecuting me. Jesus said in Matthew 25 to a group of folks assembled before him and. A picture of the day of judgment, inasmuch as you have done it unto the one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then to those on the left, he said, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. My brothers and sisters, because our Lord loves us. He makes even affliction to be a blessing. Your trouble is to bring you to the end of yourself. It's to bring you to always be looking to him and trusting in him. Affliction can be the goodness of God to bring us to repentance, Romans 2.4. And the fourth and final lesson is this. Always remember that there can be a famine in the promised land, while there's corn in Egypt. say, what does that mean? Well, often the world seems to prosper while the children of God struggle and suffer. Egypt was the seed of Ham. Remember, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Remember that? You remember Ham was cursed by Noah for a deed that he had done. Well, when his family spread throughout the earth, Egypt was of the seed of Ham, whose seed was cursed. Yet they are the ones that have the bread. The family of Joseph, which was the seed of Abraham, the friend of God, they're down in Canaan land about to starve to death. Shall others have food while the children of God starve? The chapter opens, chapter 42 opens those first two verses. Jacob said, we're running out of food. Go down into Egypt and get some bread for us. Get some food for us. There was bread enough in Egypt. Listen now. There was bread enough in Egypt because there was a Savior there. (laughs) It was the Savior Joseph who had planned these storehouses because he knew God and God showed him that there are going to be seven years where everything is going to grow, everything's going to be good, and then it's going to be followed by seven terrible, horrific years. And so Joseph built all his storehouses and stocked them up so that when the seven bad years came there's plenty of food. Now, here's a lesson for us, or one lesson. There's plenty. A food for your soul in Christ. He is the bread of life, and he is the water of life. And he that partakes of him shall never hunger, and he that drinks of him shall never thirst. So I ask you, why will you stay in Canaan when there's bread in Egypt? Okay, who's going to get this bread? This is important, and I close with this. You guys are going to get out in time and go to the restaurant before everybody else. Who's going to get this bread? Well, I've written down seven things. Number one, the people who will get the bread will go where the Savior is. Those brothers of Joseph, they're down in Canaan. They're going to go into Egypt, and they're going to go all over Egypt till they find the man there that can give them some bread. And let me tell you something. If you want the bread of heaven, you seek the Lord while he may be found, and call ye upon him while he is near. You don't want to be the person spoken of in Proverbs 1 and 2. Go back and get your Bible sometime Read Proverbs 1 and 2, where the wisdom of God said, I called you, but you wouldn't answer. I called you, but you refused. You would have none of my counsel. You would have none of my reproof. You said, I don't want you. I don't need you. Therefore, when destruction comes upon you, you'll call upon me then, but I will not hear you. Don't be that person. I won't hear you. It's in your Bible, Proverbs chapter 1, Proverbs chapter 2. Read it. Now is the day of salvation. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden out your heart. If you're going to get this bread of heaven, you're going to go where the Savior is. Number two, you're going to seek an audience with him. They sought an audience with Joseph. They didn't know it was their brother, but they got an audience with him. Because he's the only one who was authorized to give them what they wanted. And there's only one person authorized. Listen, the church can't do it for you. The preacher can't do it for you. The priest can't do it for you. And the pope, he's just a sinner like I am. He can't do it for you either. And listen, Mary can't do it for you either. Mary was a sinner. Read the the, the song of Mary. She talks about God sending a Savior for her. Well, the only person that needs a Savior is a sinner. I know Mary is a sinner because she died like the rest of us died. I told you many times about the old woman who couldn't read or write, but she knew the Lord and she saw two people in a hospital go into a room and bow down to a statue of Mary and pray. And when she came out of the room, the old washwoman woman was swabbing the floors, came up to her. And she said, what y'all doing in there? I so said, we were in there pray, praying to the Blessed Mother. She said, y'all got that wrong. She said, what, they said, what do you mean? They, she said, Mary was at the cross, not on it. Huh? Right. Is that Right. It's only the one hanging on the cross that can give you the bread of heaven. Number three. Number one, they'll go where the Savior is. Number two, they'll seek an audience with him. What does that mean, Brother Sass? That means you call on the Lord. Lord, have mercy on me. Save me. Number three, they'll bow before him. We're told right here that when they came before Joseph, It says, they bowed down, verse 6, with their faces to the earth. They bowed all the way down, brother. (laughs) Something they said they would never do. But they're doing it. And we're going to do it if we want the Lord. People fuss and fight and argue and say, well, you can receive Jesus as Savior, he's not as Lord. Here's the thing, if he's not your Lord, he's not your Savior. You can't make him Lord. People say he's your Savior, make him your Lord. God beat you to it. He made him Lord when he was born, he was born Lord. When he lived in this world, he was, lived as a Lord. And when he hung on that cross, he was Lord. And now he's seated in heaven making intercession for all those that come unto God by him. He is Lord. He is the Lord of glory. He can't be anything else but the Lord. Why wouldn't we want to confess him as Lord? Only a rebel has a problem with that. And then, fourthly, they will prove themselves to be true petitioners. You see verse 11? We're all one man's sons. We're true men. Thy servants are no spies. And Joseph said, okay, I'm going to give you a chance to prove it. I'm going to give you a chance to prove it. You can prove to me you're no spies. You can prove you're a sincere believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. How is that, brother? So I said, well, you just keep on believing him. <laughs> you just keep on walking with him. You keep on talking to him. You keep on trusting in him. Faith is not a one-time thing, and neither is repentance. We have to repent every day. We have to turn from sin every day. We have to call on the Lord every day and say, Lord, forgive me for this, or forgive me for that. Or we have to say, as as the Lord said once, get thee hence Satan, thou savorest not the things that be of God. You got a bad thought? You have to say, get hence Satan. I want what God wants. I want his will. Thy will be done in earth and in my life as it is in heaven. We have to do that every day. This is a battle. And then they'll confess and they will own their guilt. That's what they did here in verse 21. They said, we're guilty. We're guilty of this sin against our brother. We're guilty of not hearing him when he called us. When he called us, we wouldn't hear him. When he said, help me, we wouldn't hear him. When he said, why are you doing this? We turned to deaf ear. We sat down and ate, and he didn't eat anything for three days. We're guilty. And I'll tell you, man, we, we're going to confess our guilt. And i tell you something else. A sinner that comes to Christ will confess that the Lord is just. In verse 22, Reuben said, his blood is required. If you read verses 21, 22, what they're really saying in those two verses is, we are getting exactly what we deserve. That's what they say. And I'm going to tell you this, my friends. My confidence and my faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I die, I'm going to be die If I've got my mind, I'm going to be calling on the Lord. But if he sent me to hell, he'd be just. He'd be just. Because I am a sinner. The only reason I say I'm going to heaven is by the grace of God. Not because I deserve it. Not because I have any right to it. But because Christ paid my penalty. And number seven. They'll be taught to know that God is sovereign in their affairs. Look at verse 28. Verse 28. This is later. I'll explain this to you more. My money is restored. It's even in my sack. And their heart failed them. And they were afraid. And they said one to another, What is this that God... Has done to us. What is this that God has done to us? You see, when Joseph sends them away, he told his servant, he said, That money that they used to buy this bread, they take it, put it back in the sack. They don't know that. I'll explain that to you later. Another study. God willing, and I live. But they're, they're acknowledging God has something to do with this. <laughs> what, what? They didn't say, What's happening to it? They didn't say, man, are we unlucky. <laughs> All of this stuff's happening to us. How, how unlucky? No, they said God is doing something here. What is this? God is doing to us. My friends, nothing is going to happen in God's world that God doesn't have something to do with. He either permits it or he can cause it. But believe me, he knows about it, and he's involved in it. My friends, I close with a hope, a positive note. What will it be to answer to God for all of your sins? You notice in verse 23, it said, They didn't know that Joseph understood them. He knew everything they were saying. He understood everything they were saying. How about somebody that hears everything you've ever said since you've been born? How about about somebody that sees everything you've ever done since you've been born including your secret thoughts since you've been born? How would you like to face that? Be like the old woman that husband was a drunk but he was religious. She's He was a Christian. She was going into a room to pray. And he said, Honey, pray for me. She fell down on her knees and she said, Lord, have mercy on my old husband who's a drunk. And he hollered out and he said, Don't tell him that. I believe he already knows about it. Huh? He's heard everything you've said. He's seen everything you have done, including your thoughts. How would you like to be faced with a lifetime of what you've said, of what you didn't say, of what you've done, of what you've thought? But how about this? How about having all of that wiped out in such a way that even God himself can't remember them against you? Huh? Yeah, let's praise the Lord. (laughs) That's something to praise the Lord for. Their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. That's the promise. I will remember. Listen, it doesn't mean God forgets anything. It means he doesn't remember to hold them against you. He won't hold them against you. Because you have a substitute. You have someone who stood in your room and You have someone who paid the debt for you. And so here's what I tell you. The title of this message is Be Sure Your Sins Will Find You Out. And listen, they will. Either our sins will find us out in the judgment Christ suffered, or they will find us out on judgment day. But be sure your sins will find you out. May the Lord add his blessing to the teaching of his word. Let's stand together. The only safe place to be is under the blood of Jesus. Only under the blood of Jesus are we safe in the shepherd's fold. The worlds may crumble. The stars may fall. But if we're under the blood of Jesus, we're safe. My friends... Come to the Lord Jesus now. Confess the Lord Jesus now. They had a beautiful baptism two weeks ago. Eli Alexander was baptized. We had a good conference. And there are others of you that need to confess the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism. Come to him. Call on him. If I can help you, let me know. I'll pray with you. I'll try to open the scripture to you. But it's it's like a little child. Jesus said, Except you become converted and become like little children, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. That's like a little child. Just believe what God has said. And bow to it and confess it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. That's what the Bible says. All right, let's sing under the blood. the blood of Jesus safe in the shepherd's blood under the blood you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord bring you to the Lord Jesus that you might be under the blood of the everlasting covenant. May he bless you in all of your works. They may be presented to him through the acts of faith that Jesus has done it all, all to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain. He has washed it. Why this snow. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, Father. Thank you for sending your Son. Thank you for your blessed Spirit. It witnesses to us that we are the children of God, and it convicts us and rebukes us and corrects us, instructs us, and teaches us. We go, we pray, with your blessings. In the name of Jesus, we pray. For his sake we ask it. Amen.